This is Defender Radio. Defender Radio is brought to you by Gates Wildlife Control and the Association for the Protection of Fur-Bearing Animals. It's the week of October 12, 2015, and this is Michael Howie welcoming you to episode 249 of Defender Radio. Thanksgiving has passed, and we know what we're thankful for. Living with Wildlife 2015 is finally here. This Friday, October 16th, we're bringing together some of the top experts on wildlife, conservation, and coexistence in Vancouver for our fifth annual conference. I was lucky enough to catch time with two of our presenters prior to the event. The BC SPCA's top scientist, Dr. Sarah Dubois, as well as Raincoast Conservation Foundation's postdoctoral researcher, Dr. Heather Bryan. There are still a few seats available for this great event, so if you're in the Vancouver area, make sure you register today at FurBearDefenders.com or call 604-435-1850. Let's get started. As the Chief Scientific Officer for the BCSPCA, Dr. Sarah Dubois has seen a great deal of positives and negatives as they relate to wildlife policy and action. With a past ranging from working in and around wildlife rehabilitation centers to her current role as a top advisor and analyst in the BCSPCA, she has a unique position to bring forward messages on how we can all live with wildlife. What is the area that you're going to be speaking about for the Living with Wildlife Conference on October 16th? So we are finally looking at solutions for human-wildlife conflict in this particular conference. We've talked about lots of ideas and things we want to do, but I think this is a, a good time to recap what we're actually doing on the ground to attempt to resolve some of these issues and some success stories and maybe a few things that have not gone so well and how we can improve on the future. And I think that's something that, that's very important is talking about solutions um, because it does seem in the media it's frequently we don't like this, we don't like that. And the government's saying, well, this is the best we can do. Uh, are the practices we're seeing just, you know, from managing raccoons and garbage bins up to uh, uh, controlling large predator populations, is it really the best that we can do? Or is it something that's kind of just something we can do? I think that we have to really look at it comprehensively. Like, there's not just one solution every single case. So we do have to almost do like a case-by-case analysis sometimes of these bigger problems because they are quite complex. And I think that what we do a lot of um, in the animal movement, we tell people you can't do that. No, that's bad. You shouldn't do that. But we sometimes don't go the next step and we say, but you can do this. So people are facing problems and they get frustrated because they're told what they can't do, but they still need to get out of that situation. And they want to be compliant and hopefully they want to have a good resolution for the animal. And they're sometimes just need a little bit of information and a little bit of guidance as to how to get there. Why do people, though, so frequently seem to default back to some of these old-fashioned, you know, you'd almost call them old wives' tales um, about wildlife uh, management? Again, you know, that full gambit of squirrels and raccoons up to wolves and bears, um, the concept that we need to control populations, that it's up to us to prevent disease spread, that diseases are all inherently bad. Why why do people keep falling back on those ideas as we have these conversations? 
sometimes there is a bit of a perception that, you know, we still rule the earth. <laughs> you know, that still comes out of a domination, domineering and domination concept of how our interactions with animals should be. We're seeing more and more, you know, transition to more mutualistic relationships with animals. And I think that we have to just, people need to know about the alternatives. And that's the problem is that they think the quickest and cheapest uh, way to get it resolved uh, problem issue is going to be through these these traditional means and that's what they're most familiar with people like doing what they're what they're familiar with and unless you have someone really challenging those ideas and those practices and showing how they don't always work I think that you have to just keep on top of it until you have people in the right decision-making positions to say you know what we've done this for a long time and it just isn't working for us so let's let's try something different let's be a bit creative um, you know, we have a lot of scientists that um, are coming up in the world of compassionate conservation, and we hope that they can make a big difference in the future. Well, and that's something I think um, that people are unfamiliar hearing, and, and it's almost kind of an uncomfortable feeling, uh, uh, like saying an honest lawyer. You're talking about creative scientists, uh, and you yourself have a doctorate in the sciences, uh, and I, I like to think of you as doc in my head. Um uh, you have a top hat in those scenarios, by the way. Oh, great. Yeah. Um, Do I have a cane too? No, no. You, you, you walk well enough for now. Okay. Maybe yeah. when you're older. But um, what, why is it important to, to challenge ideas in science? Not, not just in the, the, the arena of public policy, uh, as we're talking right now, but in, in the sciences themselves. Because we don't know everything. And we, we are often very... Uh, much in a position to say that we, we do know how to control the world and the natural environment around us and, and we've developed these technologies and we're scientists and we're smart and we, we know what we're doing, but often we don't. And sometimes we're playing on you know these principles of maybe it'll work, maybe it won't, let's see what happens. And that's how a lot of adaptive management is actually run, that you actually try something out as a management practice, and if it doesn't work, then you should adjust it. But too often management plans are based on political cycles, and funding cycles are you know annual. And so even though you have the best laid plans, perhaps that there's funding and political will that is going to actually determine what the outcomes are for those management programs. This is a uh, an event that you, you have been to in the past, uh, we've talked about in the past. Why to you is it important to have an event like this? And, and why should people be paying attention to such an event? I think this is an opportunity for a number of different organizations that work on wildlife issues to get together to really discuss what they're doing, to come up with creative, again, strategies for public outreach and for scientific research. And I think that there's just not another forum for this right now. I think that it would be beneficial to have much more local government participation. And I think that that's really an opportunity to grow in the future because local governments are really looking for solutions for some of these wildlife issues. And they're just not getting every, all their needs met by other uh, government agencies. To learn more about the BC SPCA, visit spca.bc.ca. You can see Sarah at Living with Wildlife 2015 too. Tickets are available at FurBearDefenders.com or by calling 604-435-1850. We'll be right back after these words from our sponsors. You're listening to Defender Radio. I am Brad Gates, owner of Gates Wildlife Control. 
Do you have raccoons or squirrels living in your attic? Did you know that the hole in your roof is letting water in? Your insulation is being ruined and they could be chewing on your electrical wiring? Protect your biggest investment. We will come to your house and provide you with a no obligation free estimate. Please visit our website at gateswildlifecontrol.com or dial 416-750-9453. Bearsmart.com is the most comprehensive resource on the web for all things bear. At Bearsmart.com, we work hard to ensure people and bears safely and respectfully coexist. Join us as we give bears a voice at Bearsmart.com. Have you ever heard a coyote sing? Did you know that coyotes are also called North America's song dogs? They communicate through unique howls, yips, and barks. At Coyote Watch Canada, we're committed to fostering peaceful coexistence for communities and their wildlife neighbors by building compassionate wildlife communities one community at a time. Please visit us at coyotewatchcanada.com for more information and tips about this amazing keystone species. Millions of animals are killed for their fur each year in Canada. You can help stop the cruelty. Join the Association for the Protection of Fur-Bearing Animals today and be the voice for those who can't speak for themselves. Find out more at FurBearerDefenders.com This is Defender Radio. We're back with more of our Living with Wildlife preview episode. We were joined recently by Raincoast Conservation Foundation's Dr. Heather Bryan, who will be speaking at 2015 Living with Wildlife Conference on October 16th, largely about two pressing wildlife issues, the trophy bear hunt and the wolf cull in British Columbia. Tell, tell me a bit about your work. Right now you're, you're working towards your, uh, your PhD, or you already have your PhD. Am I confusing yeah. you? Right, so I'm a biologist with the Raincoast Conservation Foundation, and I'm also a Hakai postdoctoral fellow at the University of Victoria. So I've already completed my PhD, and now I'm uh, I'm working as a postdoc. So you're pretty much just showing off academically. Well, I'm <laughs> it's still in part of the training process of becoming a scholar is to continue working as a postdoc after you finish your PhD. So. Consider myself a scientist in training. All right, I think the good ones are always in training. Though, aren't they? <laughs> uh, now, what, what's the focus of your work primarily? What What are you looking at as a biologist? Well, I work as a part of a much larger group that includes scientists and First Nation partners, and we work on a number of different projects and there's a number of subgroups, but. A common goal that we have is to protect the habitat, food, and lives of large carnivores with whom we coexist. And uh, what we aim to do is, um, through our research, to basically better understand how changes in habitat and food availability caused by human activities affect the welfare of carnivores like bears and wolves. And then we take the results from our research and use that to inspire change through various media and also by informing wildlife management and conservation policy at different levels of government. Well, and it's it's funny, when I hear people talk about this, and I've spoken with a few ecologists over the last few months, uh, uh, talking about population dynamics and... Um, and uh, and pretty much just like that entire sort of ecosystem picture as you were talking, you would think by now we'd know everything there is to know 
about how these things are influenced by us and by other events, but we really have so much left to learn. Um, how do you try and sort of illustrate that to people that even though we know a lot, we can't know everything? Right. Well, I think what I'll hope to do in this presentation is to give some specific examples of the work that we do, why we undertake took it, why we're interested in it, what we've learned, and what implications our findings have uh, for how we manage wildlife populations and and how we how we protect them and, and essentially how we coexist with them. So I think. Um, like you said, we certainly don't know everything about ecology. It's, it's the reason that I, I've, um, I'm interested in the field is because it's always growing, always expanding. There's always more to learn. There are always new issues that come up, and um, I think it's, um, and it's important to keep studying those issues as things change and learning more about ourselves and our, our effects that we have on, on the the wildlife that we live with. Yeah, and again, I, I find it so so interesting and shocking. I mean, it, it's not like wolves or bears are a new thing. They didn't just show up last week. Um, but we are constantly learning more. Uh, one of the things I, I did a lot of reading and talking about over summer was the, um, the, the well, trophic cascading, I guess, sort of as the general use. But even more particularly, the, the individual changes um, that carnivores uh, of all levels can have on an ecosystem. And in countries like Australia and uh, Madagascar, where they're very cut off from the rest of the world in terms of ecosystems, they are so desperately trying to hang on to those predators. Is that something that we take uh, uh, take for granted in Canada, and particularly in British Columbia, that the number of predators we have? I think we are incredibly lucky to live in a province that still has large carnivores. They've disappeared or been drastically reduced, as you described, in many other parts of the world. And uh, I think, as again, as you said, learning to better coexist with these large animals will affect not only ecosystem stability, um, are also, but also industries like ecotourism. Um, and finally, I think that better learning to coexist will ensure that these carnivores are around to inspire awe for many, many generations of people and carnivores to come. Absolutely. And uh, even today, I, uh, I I was reading in the Calgary Sun, and I ended up writing a blog about this. Uh, the Banff National Park through Parks Canada has released their 2014 data set showing a drastic decline in the number of wildlife vehicle collisions. And they say, you know, back in the 80s, when we started doing the twinning of the highway, we started looking at overpasses and underpasses for wildlife, as well as wildlife fencing, this and that. People kind of laughed about it, and they said, that's never going to work. It's going to be a gigantic waste of money. But here we are 30 years later almost. The project is more or less done, and we are seeing savings through insurance and through resources and through, you know, if you can, the measurable cost of an individual life. Um, and uh, is that the kind of stuff that kind of motivates you as a scientist and a researcher that, you know, policies may want to reflect today's understanding, but there's so much we don't know and, and the need to constantly learn is so great that we can't possibly imagine how we can be influencing things. Absolutely. I think it's really important to focus on the solutions and some of the positive uh 
the change that we can have through our through research followed by action and um, and change. And so I'll, I'll in this presentation I'll be trying to focus on some of the solutions uh, that that Ring Coast and and um, colleagues have come up with to um, really try to address some of those issues. And so one of the things I'd like to focus on is um, Rain Coast's approach to uh, protecting, um, to well, re basically reducing the number of uh, animals, uh, particularly grizzly bears, killed um, through trophy hunting. And so what Rain Coast has done has purchased a number of guide outfitting territories in the Great Bear Rainforest, and that prevents um, bears being killed by non-resident hunters through the trophy hunt. So that sort of another example of a very concrete conservation solution that directly protects the lives of well of of individual bears and so um, I think like the similarly with the uh, road kills that's sort of a direct example of protecting um, individual lives um, but uh, more than that, I, I'd also like to talk about some of the other um, effects that we can have, like habitat change and changes in food that affect not only uh, potentially the lives, but also the welfare of, of uh, these large carnivores. And again, what implications that research can have for policy. Definitely. It's, uh, it, it, it can be incredible. Uh, and I, that, that's one of my favorite parts about this job is I get to sit and listen to people like you talk, um, and read what you write because it's, it, it's when I hear it or I read it, say that makes perfect sense, but I never would have come up with it on my own. Um, and that's why I get paid the big bucks as a writer. Um, and you get to pay the big bucks as a researcher, uh, cause we're clearly both in this for the money. Um, now I, I guess I kind of want to wrap up with you and just, People get very frustrated, particularly when we talk about the trophy hunt of grizzly bears in British Columbia. We talk about the, the systemic culling of wolves in British Columbia and Alberta. Um, and you're out there on the front lines. You're doing the research. Do you have hope? And is that something you can share for, for these animals, if not maybe all of the individuals today, but for the, the generations to come? I'm very much an optimist, and I think there's huge momentum gathering. It, it, even in just the last few days, a like few weeks, there's been so many inspiring, um, inspiring things that have been happening. Um, uh, all the media attention, lots of celebrities have been getting on board with trying to stop. Uh, trophy hunt and so and there's an incredible momentum by uh, coastal first nations to um, stop trophy hunting of bears um, in the great bear rainforest i think all of these different initiatives give me a tremendous amount of hope that we'll collectively be able to uh to, to end this this hunt very soon to learn more about Raincoast Conservation Foundation, visit raincoast.org. That's it for this week, and we'll be on a short hiatus next week while we work on bringing you highlights from the conference. Remember, a few seats do remain, so visit furbeardefenders.com or call 604-435-1850 to get yours now. Until next time, this is Michael Howie reminding you to stay informed and stay strong.